Hello everybody and welcome to episode two of the Safeguarding News. I'm Vicky Chafe, Head of Community and Partner Relations here at the Safeguarding Company and I'm joined by Luke. Hello, I'm Luke Ramson. I'm Deputy Head at St Benedict's and work with the Safeguarding Company as well. And today's highlights are we're going to be talking about the cost of living crisis and the impact in schools. We're going to talk about attendance and we're going to talk about the new statutory guidance, which is the serious violence duty. So on to me, where we're going to be talking about the cost of living crisis. Um, more children in England can't afford school meals, lack warm clothing and struggle to concentrate in class. And that's all according to the new survey that's been done by the Sutton Trust. So education charity Sutton Trust had surveyed 6,200 state school teachers during the autumn term and found that staff were seeing serious issues linked to the cost of living crisis. And their research paper is in the show notes. So make sure that you, you have a look at that. Some 52% of senior leading teachers experienced an increase in the number of pupils who aren't eligible for free school meals and they're unable to afford lunch. But these are wide variations as well, but it's definitely those children and those families that wouldn't be able to access the free school meals that these schools are seeing that have been the hardest hit. In the most deprived schools, that figure rose to 59% compared to 45, uh, 44 in the least deprived areas. And some more really dreadful statistics, 38% said that more children were coming to school hungry and that was rising to 56% in the most deprived schools. 54% saw an increase in children without adequate winter clothing and that was 65% in the poorest areas. I mean, that's just astronomical, isn't it? 17% had more families asking to be referred to a food bank, which again increased to 27% in the most deprived places. Um, Dr. Patrick Roach, who's from the NASUWT, and he's their general secretary, in the, the trust report had said that there can be little doubt that the cost of living crisis is harming pupils' education, learning and development. An emergency response is needed to deliver extra help for these children, schools and families. So what can we do then? We can work with local food banks and maybe do some food drives if at all possible. Having a bank of charity links on your website or maybe having it printed off in the office so that families don't feel that they need to, to come in and ask you for those. Maybe having them on, on display. The BBC have created a page, and again, I'll make sure that the link's in the, in the show notes, um, on their website, and it gives tips on how to save money, and it shows how um, who you can go to for help for certain things, and how you can reduce costs, and the same with the, the food, but it's a really, really useful page, actually. Um, and make sure that all of your staff are being hyper vigilant and noting any changes in their pupils so that conversations can be had early on. So making sure that they're really keeping their eyes on change of behaviour, anything to do with their, ch their children being more sleepy or being complaining of being hungry or looking um, maybe not as well kept as they have done before, just really being hyper vigilant. 
around that. Um, and any other tips that anybody's got, please come and share them and have that conversation in the safeguarding community so that other members can take ideas. If you've done something that's been really powerful in your area, then please share it with us. We, we'd all love to know because I know that we all want to do more to try and, and support our families. I think so. I'm Sorry, so just one, one thing to add to that, I definitely say as, as sort of leaders in your schools, um, I think really important to talk to your governors about it. And I think particularly what Vicky was just saying, those national statistics, um, I think what would be a really you know, useful thing to do would be to benchmark it and say, well, this is what's happening in our school. And if you're saying to governors, well, actually, it's worse in our school, or you could say you know, it might be a little better in your school, but it will give your governors a sense of what the problem is. And crucially, because they'll be making those decisions, they're where school resources need to be channeled. I think it's really important that, you know, obviously resources are stretched in every area in schools at the moment. But I think explaining to governors the, the crucial reality of the problems that many families are facing and where these resources need to be challenged. So I think that that use of statistics and if you like the uh, benchmarkable facts is quite a useful thing when you've got you know governors meetings and actually you know where are we putting our resources so that's why this sort of Sutton uh, trust report can be really helpful as school leaders and also using that information to just make those more informed decisions so if you are going to do a trip is is there any way that we can can lower the cost or maybe go somewhere else so that we can find it cheaper for people if you are rebranding maybe or if you're if you're deciding to have new school uniforms making sure that it's not like halfway through the year or making sure that there might be grants available for those people that can't it's like you said it just helps you make those more informed decisions doesn't it absolutely fabulous okay so we're going to go over to luke now for your talk on attendance yeah, well, I put a few um, different articles uh, in the the notes that go along with this because there have been a few sort of a, a perfect storm, really, in, in, in attendance. First of all, of course, right at the moment, they've got the problem with the strike on for schools, and that's making parents very aware of attendance. But far more importantly, we've got these two key things in December. You'll remember the strep A and the other issues about illness, which created real um, issue. We've got the post-COVID concern um, and the, a Guardian article that's in the, sh the, the notes to this um, describes a cultural shift since the pandemic of parents across the country being much more reluctant to send their children to school. And the statistics, again, a very st statistic heavy show, I'm afraid, yeah. um, of 9% um, students missing classroom time compared with 5.5% in previous up until 2020. So a real no marked shift, which I'm sure lots of school leaders are seeing. Um, and then, of course, you know, linking with that, the idea of you no know, mental health concerns, those sorts of things. And it's it's really is a perfect storm around attendance. And so, you know, obviously we're left going, well, well what do we do about this, uh, given that we're we're called to account for attendance in our schools? And I think there are four key things I would say, um, you know, many of which we'll be doing, but hopefully one of these might resonate as something else to look at uh, for you. First of all, and I think this is vital, is to be a really clear communication with parents. I think the one thing that is most problematic in terms of getting attendance better is where you have if you like, 
get secrecy from parents. If they're going to feel the school is going to be, you know, looking to to find them or sanction them or be really judgmental of, of them, then that's where you're going to get parents just you know, basically making things up, saying, you know, he's got this illness, nothing I can do. You know, I can't get to the doctor, which, of course, also is not is tr very true in most cases at the moment. So I can't get a doctor's note. But the first thing I'd say is encourage honest communication. And I would say to us, I don't mind if you phone me, you tell me he's just in bed. You no, know, he was out last night with all his friends and he's totally hung over. I would rather know that and be able to work with the parent about, OK, what do we do on that front? How do we work with you? How do we help you so that you can work with your child at home? But I think it's really important to starting point that it's not a confrontational dialogue with the parents, because I'm 99% of the time, even more parents, they want their children in school. They want them to do well. And so I think if you that's the, for me that the real golden rule on attendance is to try and be as open in your communications with the parents as possible so that they aren't trying to hide what's going on from you. So that's really the first thing I'd definitely say. Uh, and second with that is with the students themselves. Now, obviously, if there's a student who just did not coming in, you have your behaviour policy. These are the sort of things you need to use. But given the complexities of, you know, there may be family issues, there may be mental health issues with the students, there may be um, you know, all sorts of other issues surrounding that. Um, invariably, my, my golden rule with the students is get them into school first and then deal with the issues. And I think if students again are worried that as soon as they get into school, they're going to be facing you know, double detentions and then all these other problems and the parents will be dragged in, then you know, they're not going to come in. And I think it's always really important get them into school and then work from there. Um, so I think that communication, openness with parents and trying within the bounds of reason. Now, I as a deputy head myself, I do know that there are students where you, know, you really do just need to say, well, these are the rules and actually you need a sanction for this. But trying to be creative, being flexible, being open minded to you know, other solutions, other ideas or need even just holding off on, you know, that the sanctioning element of things until you've got them in and you've got them and you know, stable in their attendance um, could be a good thing. But I, I, that, that's a second really important thing. Thirdly, and I think this is vital in an area in which CAMS is, you know, in many areas almost inaccessible for, you know, years to come. It's become a, a sort of like a membership club that's impossible to get into. Um, be creative in who you use externally to you. Now, uh, all different areas will be different, but for example, the council will have things like you know, family support groups, will have other groups that might be contactable other than CAMS. There's always your GP and GPs themselves can be really helpful in just suggesting ways in which you can help, suggesting you know, potentially medication routes that might be helpful as short term helps. And also lots of local and national charities that can be really, really supportive. Uh, now, then none of these are panaceas. None of these are things that can definitely help. But I think even just giving families a sense of, well, OK, you can try CAMS, but it won't get you anywhere. That can be very dispiriting for a parent if you're just thinking, well, there's not much out there. I think giving them the, the sense of there are things. And in particular, one thing which I'm really pushing in my own school is um, Couth, spelled K-O-O-T-H which is a company which basically does online support for students. They're working with the NHS um, and having a look around their sites, they've got um, professionally accredited um, therapists and counsellors who give online support to students. Um, they get all sorts of useful resources on there. Students log on to it totally separately from anybody else. 
So they create their own account, they create their own password. It's their bit of support. But again, that the online world can be somewhere where students can get that mental health support. So I think crucially being creative in these difficult times with how you support the students can be uh, really useful. Um, and then, of course, once they're in school, I think that that buzzword creativity, you know, maybe there's a particular lesson that's been absolutely putting them off. And I've a number of occasions said to students, well, you come into school, but let's just you know go to the library for that lesson. Well, we'll make sure you're doing some useful work. Ideally, eventually, I want you doing that lesson, but I'd much rather you were in for a morning or doing those lessons and you got back into the rhythm of being in school and then we work from there rather than saying when you're in school you do this and these are there are no uh, exceptions to this and this is just what you've got to do so i think going through those things i think you know we are facing um lots of issues of schools and i think going back to what um, vicky was saying you know it is that sense of schools more and more taking on everything they were taking on attendance taking on mental health issues what vicky's going to be talking about next schools are taking on as well uh, and so you know, we need to be creative, we need to be flexible, we need to um, be looking at all different ways in which we can support our young people so that crucially they're in with us, which is why attendance is so important. So I hope there are, those are a few useful um, bits and pieces. Um, as I said, the articles in the notes um, will be of use, and I've also included the link to the latest government guidance on attendance, which actually, you no, know, dare I say, compared to some bits of government guidance, does also have some really quite useful bits of help, particularly where it does emphasise the non-punitive element of attendance uh, management, which is really helpful coming from government. Absolutely, and, and it's thinking outside of the box as well, because there might not be any school factors, as in the, the problems are, are with the school itself, but there could be friendship issues, and mm. those friendship issues might have been seeping onto maybe some online bullying or something that could have happened the night before. And it's and it's like you said, it's it's building those that, that trust up so that those conversations mm. can be had so that you can find out what what is the underlying cause for it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I am going to move on now to the statutory guidance. So this guidance was released by the Home Office in December 2022, and it's for England and Wales. And this guidance, unlike most guidance, is for all sectors. So in within the document itself, it talks about what the, the roles of the police are, justice, health, local authority, housing and homelessness, family support and early help, education and fire and rescue. So this one guidance is, is for all of those sectors. The guidance sets out case studies demonstrating effective partnership working, advice on data sharing, information on monitoring and inspection and advice on working with voluntary and community sector and young people. This guidance also provides links to existing guidance and information rather than what normally happens is they put that guidance in with another another piece of guidance and it makes it really bulky so what they've done is they've just linked to the other guidance that's relevant to this one the guidance also outlines the changes that have been made in section six of the crime and disorder act of 1998 which is ensuring prevention and reducing serious violence is a priority for community safe partnerships which are also called cpc 
peas. So following the public consultation in July 2019, the government announced that it would bring forward the legislation introducing the new serious violence duty, or they call it the duty, on a range of specified authorities. This will ensure relevant services work together to share that information and allow them to target their interventions where possible through existing partnership structures, collaboration and plan to prevent and reduce serious violence in the local communities. So this guidance is very much a holistic one as opposed to individually. The duty covers the requirements that are set out in Chapter 1 and Part 2 of the PCSC Act. And again, all of these will link in the, in the show notes. It requires specific authorities for a local, local government area to work together to plan and prevent and reduce that serious violence, including identifying the kinds of serious violence that occurs in the area. So that could be different for different areas and the causes of that violence as much as you possibly can and to prepare and implement a strategy for preventing and reducing it in your area. The duty also requires that the specified authorities need to consult educational, prison and youth custody authorities for the area in the preparation of this strategy. So each sector has its own section within this guidance and they can all be found in chapter four of the document and education and multi-academy trusts um, is just is just down at the bottom near the fire and rescue. Well, I think that's probably about all that we've got time for in this episode. Um, it's been great to, to catch up with everybody and talk about what's been what's been happening in the safeguarding world. Um, I've been Vicky Chafe. I'm Liz Ramson. And until next time, goodbye. Bye.